you're listening to Connection Church's podcast. All right, well, good morning, church. You guys got an extra hour of sleep. How was that? That's great. I love, the, I love having conversations on Monday. Hey, man, missed you at church. Forgot to set my clock back. Shouldn't you have been early? Huh. Love those conversations. My name's Cody. I'm the student pastor here at Connection and glad to be with you this morning as we continue our series, The Holy Ghost. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four. That's what we're gonna kind of uh, be walking through this morning. Verses 23 through 31. And as you do, let's celebrate one more time for the baptisms that we just witnessed. It is incredible. You know, as we talk a little bit this morning about the cultural moment that we live in and us as Christians and how we should respond, I hope you get a biblical vision of how important baptism is in a day that, uh, that we're not so, I guess necessarily a people of, known as a people of faith here in America. So I hope you see the uh, importance of baptism. It's gonna be very, very critical as we talk about some of those things. But let's do this. I want, us to, I want us to take a recap, just a moment of what Brandon, how Brandon began the series, Holy Ghost last week. Last week, he gave us kind of a panoramic shot of who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And he kept using this phrase, the Spirit shapes us to become more like Jesus. The Spirit shapes us to become more like Jesus. And we're going to zoom in on that and see in one area of our lives where the Spirit shapes us and how He shapes us. And to me, it is one of the most neglected things of the Christian walk. And I know it's true of me, and that is our prayer life. We're looking at how the Holy Spirit shapes people of prayer. If you're taking notes, the title is Shaping People of Prayer. And like I said, we're looking at how Spirit-led prayer leads us to empowered spirit living. And it's going to be uh, very good. It's gonna be very good. God's already done some awesome things this morning. Um, just to kind of catch you up, we're coming into Acts chapter four, verse 23 through 31. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna read that, we're gonna pray, and then we'll kind of catch us up uh, from Acts two to Acts four. So let's read Acts four, 23 through 31. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and people plot in vain? The kings of earth rise of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That anointed one is Jesus. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, you are holy. 
you are sovereign. Lord, we pray that this morning as we walk through your word and as we see how the Holy Spirit shapes us to become a people of prayer, Lord, that you convict us in the areas that we need to be convicted, comfort us in the areas that we need to be comforted, us, Lord, and continue to make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for who he is and what he's done on the cross. So Lord, we ask this morning that you be in our midst, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, shape us, mold us to become more like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, what's happening is that we were just thrust in kind of the middle of a story and I want us to, I want us to see what happened. You see, in Acts chapter two, you have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is the moment where God's people received salvation and they received the power of the Holy Spirit that came to indwell in their hearts. And now because of that, we have access to the Holy Spirit. The moment we are saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And the word that the New Testament seems to use is the word indwell. And this has the sense of taking up a permanent residence in the heart of every believer. So when we, when we are saved, when we receive salvation, the spirit comes and indwells in our heart. And that's what's happening on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. But what you see is something else happen as well. Is that something called the filling of the Holy Spirit? And I know that we are a non-denominational church and a lot of people come from a different uh, backgrounds as their perspective towards us. But what we believe here is that the filling of the Holy Spirit is the daily surrender and a filling ourselves or filling, being filled up with the Holy Spirit to be enabled and empowered to do the mission of God, which is to make disciples, proclaim the gospel and live out the kingdom here and now. You see the word fill, being filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18, it talks about this. It says, do not be drunk with wine, but be, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's contrasting being filled and being controlled. So what, what that text is saying is that being filled with the Spirit is really being controlled by Him in a positive way. We don't like to think of the word being in control, but the Spirit is positively in control of our, our lives as believers. So we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And as every day comes, as we empty ourselves and surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit, His empowerment and His enablement to live like Jesus comes through in a variety of ways, through gifts, through teaching, through worship, we see the filling of the Holy Spirit. And at this point, the disciples have been saturated with the Spirit. It has been really cool to see what they have done. You see in Acts chapter three there, you have Peter and you have John walking up to the temple to go pray. But then you see a man who has been lame since birth, begging for provision. He has needs that need to be met. And he's sitting at this gate and this gate was called beautiful. And it's, it's remarkable that this gate is called beautiful because something beautiful happens at this gate where Peter and John say, look, man, silver and gold, we don't have that. But what we do have, we will give to you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Not only did he stand up and walk, but he, but he leaped for joy. Everybody was excited. It was an amazing moment. It was a spirit-led and spirit-filled moment. So Peter and John were being spirit led, but what happened was the spirit led them into prison. You see, the religious leaders came against them and put them in prison. So sometimes spirit led moments can lead us into difficult times. They forgot to tell me that one at salvation. Hey, spirit will lead you into difficult times. We see that with a person and work of Jesus. Spirit drove him, think about that imagery, drove him into the wilderness. And these times can be used to shape our character and our faith in God. 
So that's where, we, that's where we landed in this text where now they're being released and they go to the group of believers and the first thing they do is pray. The very first thing they do is pray. And like I said a moment ago, that's what we're looking at today is looking how the Holy Spirit shapes us to become people of prayer. How to pray spirit-led prayers and how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and see his power and presence. You see, in London, there is a place called the Sunday Assembly. Some of us may be familiar with this. We may have heard it. But the Sunday Assembly is a gathering. You, you'll walk in, you'll be welcomed, you will fellowship. There's teaching, there's, there's a, there's, you get to celebrate life together. They have mission, they have vision, they have values. They are in the community, serving the needs of the community. They have 70 locations, one in Melbourne, Australia, the other, some other in uh, Oregon. It is, it is a growing place. And they say they're there to celebrate life. The problem and the difference is that this type of gathering is a, is a secular gathering. They are a non-faith-based gathering. Essentially a church for atheists. And as you watch their testimonial videos, they have those too. As you watch their testimonial videos, you'll hear them say, you'll hear people say, you know, as you come here, you can be of faith. Of course, everybody is welcome. Everybody come. You can have faith and still come to the Sunday assembly, but we won't talk about it. You see, if you were to take the Sunday assembly and their programs and, and what they do aesthetically and physically and, and in the world, you, and you take you take the, uh, a contemporary church and you line them up side by side and you're looking at it from the outside, you don't see aesthetically much of a difference, do you? They have mission, vision, values. They are planting campuses. The reason why this series is so important is that apart from the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we have nothing to offer. See, the church is the foundation, or the, Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church, and we continue his work by the power of the Holy Spirit. So without the church, we have nothing. Listen to what uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his book, Revival. He says, we must cease to have so much confidence in ourselves and in our methods and organizations and all of our successes. We have to realize that we must be filled with God's Spirit. We must plea for it and yearn for it. Essentially what he is saying is as we thirst for God, the result of that is prayer, is that we become people of prayer. You see, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, if we don't have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, if we are not a people who are praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, there is no difference. We are just, when we go into the communities and we provide meals and we do these things, we are just putting a temporary bandaid on an eternal problem. So we have to be aware of this. So what's happening in this text is we're going to see how the church, the corporate church should respond to persecution and opposition. And this will be relevant for us as a church corporately, but also individually. But I wanna take a moment to just examine the context of the disciples in, at this time. You see, they had about 5,000 believers at this point. Everybody agree that's a lot of believers, right? That, that's a lot. It is actually a minority though, when you look at the population of the Roman empire and the provinces that they were over. They were a small minority. God was moving and things were growing, but they were still a small minority of believers. 
And that context, the corporate church was a small minority. That context is becoming more and more evident and more and more true of us here today. Christianity is being pushed in the margins of society, dismissed as irrelevant, outdated, misguided. So how are we to respond to that as a church? You see, 2.7 million people a year leave the church. Statistically, America can be considered now an unreached people group in need of missionaries. We are the third most non-Christian nation in line next to China and India. That's a big deal. So how do we respond? Because typically, and what we see today, to pretty much to one way that we respond is we respond out of fear. And this either leads us to a place of apathy where we just kind of let the ball keep rolling, let the, cultural, let the culture keep, keep doing what it's doing and we don't really speak into it. We don't wanna make waves. We don't wanna cause any, any friction or any tension. So we're just going to let things go. That's one way. Another way that we see happen when we respond out of fear is aggression, like a dog backed into a corner. Christians begin to lash out and persecute the very people that we were called to proclaim and preach to. Have you been on social media lately? I'm watching my brothers and sisters in Christ tear one another apart, dividing socially, theologically, and politically out of fear, which is rooted in a lack of biblical vision of who God is. You see, historically, places like the Sunday Assembly have happened before. All throughout history, you can trace them and find things that, that look like that, and they die out. Maybe a lifetime or two, but they die out. But so does the church that responds in fear. Churches that respond in fear and not faithfulness die out. But the churches that become people of prayer and empowered by the Holy Spirit, they always sustain. History, sociology proves that Christianity has uniquely survived throughout history. God's people have always uniquely survived. So how do we respond? Because what we see in this text is that movements of God are often results of moments of faithful prayer. Our response as Christians should be faithful prayer and, and yearning for the spirit to fill us up and to move us and then move through us. And that was the corporate response, but that's also our individual response to the things that we struggle with every day in our life. So what is your context this morning as you come in the doors? Are you struggling financially? Are you having problems with a relationship, trying to make sense of a relationship? Is your marriage struggling? Maybe you've gone through some tragedy. Maybe you've took a stand for your faith and now you're paying for it. The response is still the same, to have a biblical vision and a biblical posture of spirit-led prayer that leads to the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what is that biblical vision of prayer? You see, prayer is communicating with God and encountering him in a more intimate way. You see, prayer brings clarity to God's nature. We, we, we reflect upon who he is. God is sovereign, as the text says. He is good, he is holy. We uncover who God is through prayer. We uncover who he is. We also uncover the deeper meanings and the, and the deeper impacts of his word in our life. 
I can't tell you how many times I've prayed and then scripture would be coming to mind and that scripture would become to form my theology and what I believe about God and who he is. So it brings clarity to his nature, his will and his word. But prayer is also a place where we're fully known before God, fully known. And that can be intimidating, but it's a place where we bring our struggles, our sufferings, our praises, our requests, our heartaches, our brokenness, and allow God to work on those things. Martin Luther said, bring your stuff to God and let him worry about it. That's what happens in prayer. And as we're fully known in prayer, something convicting happens is that we find ourselves before a perfect and holy God. In prayer, we have no one else to really compare ourselves to. Outside of prayer, through our daily walk and through our daily lives, we, we are in danger and often we do this. We, we say, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well compared to that person over there. I'm not, I'm, not as, I'm not as bad off as they are. But when we're in prayer, there is really no one to compare us to except the perfect and holy God. And when we do that, we fail miserably, but we also recognize the need for his grace and mercy in our lives to make us new. So we're fully known. So the biblical vision of prayer is, is essentially that. And we see how God answers prayer in this text and throughout the narrative of the Bible. You see that he answers prayer in yes. And that's always a good thing, right? We like that. Yes, we like that. That's a good word. We're pro yes when God answers our prayer. That's awesome. Sometimes he answers in no. And we can be frustrated and we can be confused and that's Okay. And sometimes God answers prayer by saying, not now, not now. See, Jesus tells us to approach God like a heavenly father when he offers his framework of prayer. He says, father. And it makes me think when I was about five years old, my family and I, we lived in the projects of Denver, not the place you wanna have a pool party, okay? And I remember seeing all of these guys on bikes and kids in bikes. And, and I remember asking, dad, can I have a bike? Mom, can I have a bike, please? I'm gonna go ride my, I'm gonna go ride a bike. And I remember my dad sitting there going, Cody, this is not, this is not the place, time or place for you to have a bike, okay? You're going to get hurt. You see, the place where we lived in Denver was the place where the Crips and the Bloods would come fight at night. And I said, no way are we getting you a bike for you to go ride around, get lost and get hurt. No way, not now. I was frustrated, I was angry. I wanted that little mongoose with the pegs. I didn't know what a bunny hop was, but I was going to learn. He was standing in the way of my, my will. But shortly after we moved to Texas onto a place that had some land. And guess what I got for my birthday? A bike, not a mongoose, a huffy. Yeah. Everything I wanted. And I had more joy than I could ever imagine in that moment. But what it showed me was that I can trust my dad. And my dad is an imperfect father, but how much, more per, how much more should we trust God being a perfect heavenly father? Yes, no, and not now are the responses that we see to our prayers. Do we trust him? And that leads us into what does it look like to actually pray? You know, sometimes we check out on sermons on prayer. Uh, I just, it just hadn't worked. I'm gonna submit to you that Maybe it's because we misunderstand the nature and posture of prayer. 
And this is something that I'm working on right now. Just a couple, couple months ago, someone my wife and I dearly love came up to us and said, you know what, I feel like the Lord is telling me that you guys need to pray more together and more intimately together. That sounds like something God would say, okay. And it was true. So Christy and I, we've been trying to cultivate our prayer life and we're progressively getting better, not perfectly. Okay, so I'm not standing up here saying, I've got this formula and the framework down, okay? This is, this is something I'm working on with you. So, but what we see in this text, I want you to notice how they open their prayer. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer saying, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The first thing I want you guys to take away is that prayer is positional. If you're taking notes, write that down. Prayer is positional. There is a way, a biblical way that we are to approach God. You see, in James, James says, look, you don't receive because you don't ask. You ask with the wrong motives. You don't ask rightly. You ask with the wrong motives. There's this way that we approach God that is so important. And it's kind of foreign to us. It's kind of foreign to us because we live in a culture that has tried to make Jesus so cool and relevant that perhaps we've missed the reverence of God and we've forgotten that it's often the reverence of God, finding a place in awe of God that often leads us to him, his grandness, his, his sovereignty. You see, when they say sovereign Lord, what they're saying is you are in full control of this situation and circumstance. Full control, Think, let that sink in for a minute. Nothing is surprising God, okay? Nothing, not the mess that we're in this morning, not the outcome of Tuesday. Let this sink in, he is in control. Once again, we hate that word control because we see it so much exercised in our society negatively, but God is positively in control. He is working his will and his plan out. And he is a good God. So they approached God with this sense of awe, this deep sense of awe, sovereign Lord. Notice it's not eloquent, it's not sophisticated, but it is humble, honest, and reverent. Finding ourselves before God, beginning our prayer lives with Father, you are good and I am not. Thank you so much for your grace. Lord, you are in control. Lord, your grace has changed me. Thank you. Coming to a place of awe is so critical to our prayer life. See, when we say things like sovereign Lord, we can rest knowing that he is in charge regardless of what's going on. And we can find awe in him. And I know... I, I wrestled with this for several years and I still in a lot of ways wrestle with this. See, I used to go to God looking for answers. When we got the phone call, the bang on the door in the middle of the night that my brother had been killed in a car accident, I began to ask for answers and search for answers. When my wife and I had our first miscarriage, I began to search for answers. When we found out that my wife had malignant melanoma, I began to search for answers. When we found out that our son was gonna be born with some craniofacial surgical needs, I searched for answers. 
And when we had our recent miscarriage, I searched for answers. It's natural, it's okay. And I wrestle with that. But as I've gotten to know God more, I have learned that when I position myself in a place where I'm searching for the awe of God and not the answers of God, he gives me a peace that surpasses my understanding and my circumstance. I can't explain to you how it works, but I do know that it is the power of the Holy Spirit that grants us that grace and peace that surpasses not only our understanding, but also our situation and circumstance. You can find awe in God regardless of the moment that we find ourselves in. Are we searching for awe? Are we searching for answers? Because I'll tell you the truth, I have zero answers for those things. And it's been years and months. But I do have awe of God. And the thing is, is in that time of suffering, we may not know what to say. In our time of working out our relationships, in the times of our tragedy and our suffering, we may not know what exactly to say, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, is there to intercede for us. To help us work out what's going on in our lives and in our hearts. Romans 28, 26, 27 says that. When we struggle, the Spirit intercedes. You see, when we have that mindset of, of come as you are, when we're talking about positioning ourselves before God, come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. And there's an essence of truth to that. And we should come as we are. In fact, we don't come to God at all. God comes to us as we are. That's the biblical vision of that. But as we come to him, we need to remember who he is and reflect upon that. It's positioning ourselves and finding ourselves in the awe of God. Notice the posture and the position of the Pharisees as they prayed, Lord, thank you I'm not like him. Thank you you've made me good. Thank you I'm not a sinner like him. But what, what Jesus says was the guy who actually had the right posture of prayer was face first on the ground, begging for redemption. Not only that, but if you recall the story of Martha and Mary, Martha was getting upset because Mary was doing nothing but sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, she's not doing anything. Nothing Martha was doing bad, what, Mar what Mary was doing was better. He says, no, 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 she's doing something. She's doing the most important thing, finding ourselves in a position at the feet of Jesus during our prayer life and every day. Listen to Hebrews 12, 28 before we move on. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship acceptably with reverence and awe. With reverence and awe. Let's capture that, that the, the posture of prayer and spirit-led prayer is positional. The next thing is spirit-led prayer is confessional. See, the spirit intercedes when we don't know what to say, but the majority of the times we do have words to say. It's confessional. Let's read verses 25 and 28 through 28. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. It goes on to quote God's word. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That's a Psalm 2. That's Psalm 2. The disciples are quoting God's word. They're confessing God's word. 
during their prayer. Because if you do that Psalm, if you go back to Psalm two, you'll find that what they're saying is all the ways of the world, all, every opposition that comes against us as the people of God is useless and done in vain. See, the, confessing the word of God during prayer was shaping who they believed God to be. It was encouraging their theology and the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. I used to wrestle with this question. I, want to see, I just wanna see if anybody else has wrestled with this question. Show of hands, have you ever wondered why God needs us to speak if he knows what we think? Anybody in here? Okay, I'm not the only crazy one in here because I've asked that question and I, and I felt like some of the responses I got, like that's a really elementary question. I didn't know. But I found that it's because prayer is confessional and, that the, and what they deal with our words is that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation talks about the power of word. See, words can be creative or they can be destructive. James talks about this. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. Let us use words that only build up, Ephesians 4.29. And there's a creative, informative thing about words that happen when people are led by the Spirit in speaking. You see, the Spirit is forming and reinforcing our beliefs about God as we pray. But look at what they said. Look at what they said. It says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, David. See, the, the power of words is seen in that when David was praying and singing by the power of the Spirit, Holy Scripture was being formed for us to read today. How creative and life-giving are the words when they're spoken through the, through the lens of the Spirit, through a filter of the Spirit. I'm reminded of Genesis 1. When I go back to Genesis 1, the very beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, now the earth was formless and empty. Formless and empty. That's a good description of our spiritual state without the Holy Spirit. Formless and empty. And the Spirit of God, and, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word hovering in the Hebrew, it literally has the meaning of in control overseeing. So you see, when God speaks, he says, let there be light. When God spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit, things happened. See, our prayers are to be confessional. They're to be verbal. See, thinking is not the same as praying. I can spend a lot of time thinking about God and no time praying to God. It is verbal. Not only is it formative in our faith as God is shaping us according to his word as we pray his word, but it's shaping the people that we pray for. How many times have you heard of or been a part of something where you've prayed for somebody and they say, man, that is exactly what I needed. There's power in the words of our confessional prayers as we speak by the Holy Spirit. Not only that, I'm watching, I'm watching my, my little girl, Maggie, I pray with her before she goes to bed and, and her prayers are essentially kind of all the same, but we're trying to, to show her how to find awe in God, how to find uh, satisfaction in God and how to pray to God. And these are basically her prayers. I was helping her along. And this is kind of her prayers now. God, thank you for mommy. Thank you for daddy. Thank you for Cove, that's her brother. Thank you for Lila and Stella, our dogs. Thank you for Pink Swing. Thank you for my bicycle. And you say, well, okay, get this. As, as our day proceeds, I'm noticing Maggie do something. When she says that she loves 
one of either me, Christy or Cove, she says, I love mommy, I love daddy, I love pink bicycle, I love pink swing, I love Lila, I love Stella. You see, the words that we pray over our daughter and the words that she is praying is forming who she is as a person. And that's because the verbal confession that we have when we're exchanging prayer. So prayer, it's so, it's so important to never forget that prayer is confessional. Speaking with my wife a couple weeks ago and she was telling me about a time when she was having some friction with somebody she knew and they were kind of becoming an opposition to her. And as she began to pray, the spirit convicted her for her heart towards that individual, even though they were the ones seemingly to cause the friction. You see, as we pray, the Lord will convict us by the spirit for the people who are either opposing us or our enemies. When you begin to pray, the love of Jesus begins to flow from that. Is our confession time in prayer spirit-led? The next thing is this, is that spirit-led prayer is hopeful. It is hopeful. You see, when we come to know God, he instills a spirit in us to permanently dwell within our hearts. And this Holy Spirit, he gives us a redemptive and hopeful vision for all things that have been wrecked by sin. Listen to the nature of this prayer. Listen to how they pray. Listen to the hopeful heart behind this. God, you're in control, you're sovereign, Lord. Listen to this in verse 29. Now, consider the threats, which means look look and act upon the threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You say, well, how is that hopeful? Did you notice what they didn't pray for? Lord, please squash my enemies beneath my feet. Lord, please change my zip code. Lord, please get me out of this situation where I don't have to actually muster some faith. Notice what they did pray for is the empowerment to continue to proclaim the gospel even to their enemies. Why are they proclaiming the gospel? So that people can come to know God. They had a hopeful vision for even the people who disagreed with them. Do we have a hopeful vision for the people who disagree with us? Again, I would point you to social media platforms to evaluate for yourself. I love how they, I love that prayer. And Jesus from the cross, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Redemptive vision for the people who are nailing him to a cross. And listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, love your enemies is uniquely Christian. It is nowhere found in any other literature and no other people group outside of Christians. It, it was, its origin is in Christians. Love your enemy. That is, that is a, a totally countercultural thing to do and pray. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. They have that hopeful vision. The last thing that we see about the posture of prayer is that it's thankful. It's thankful. This prayer is a response, an immediate response to all that God had done. And it's looking forward to all the things that he will do. See, 
what this teaches us is that we can find thankfulness in the midst of any context, in the midst of any situation. And, for, and to be able to find thankfulness in the context of any situation is a side effect, is a result of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Just yesterday, just yesterday, I was driving and uh, running some errands and I got out of my car and my wife and I, we drive, we drive um, an older Ford Escape. It's got a ton of miles on it. We're like concerned about our car and this concern about the miles and kind of the leaky oil leads me to complaining about it a lot. I found myself complaining about, you know, when is the wheel gonna fall off? You know, our battery died on the way to Texas with two babies in the back. I'm like, the stupid car. But there was a woman who was sitting on her porch. My car is dirty as all get out to, okay? It is, it is nasty on the outside. This woman sitting on her porch with her two-year-old, look, maybe two-year-old baby bouncing in her lap. The woman goes, you sure do have a nice truck. Mm. Even when things were good, I wasn't able to be thankful. I needed that. See, prayer is thankful. See, Philippians 4, it's got the pray without ceasing. It's got all sorts of uh, coffee cup verses. In fact, I believe a lot of Philippians 4 is probably on the journals of every girl in this room. Listen to this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let me give you the context of Philippians. Paul was in prison, folks. What does that teach us about the nature of thankfulness from people who have the Holy Spirit indwelling and filling them daily? These things, positional, confessional, hopeful, and thankful. Church, these are not requirements of prayer. These are the results of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is not a checklist. This is the side effect. See, as we come to know the Lord, he shapes us into becoming people of prayer. And then people of power and presence. You see, when we experience the power and presence of the Lord, God changes our presence in our context. See, God may not change our situation, but he can change us in the situation. power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So what was the response to this prayer? This positional, confessional, hopeful and thankful prayer. It says, after they prayed, after they prayed, underline that. Maybe your translation says when they prayed, it's more accurately translated after when they prayed. So write it in, their, write it in your Bible. After they prayed. Notice the Holy Spirit didn't just automatically show up and fix things. See, he certainly doesn't need our permission to move, but he waits for a proclamation of faith. After they prayed, notice it says the place was shaken. You see, when we pray with a biblical vision of prayer, things begin to happen in our lives. It may not be what you want, but it will certainly be his will, which will ultimately be better than the original thing you ever wanted. 
God will begin to shape and mold you by filling you with the Holy Spirit as we surrender to him daily and walk with him. You see, I look at this text and I used to look at this text and go and say, until God moves, until God shakes up this building, I'm not moving. I need to see a sign. What I realized when the spirit was speaking to my heart was, Cody, you sound like a Pharisee. See, this text is saying that when that the power comes as we request the filling of the Holy Spirit and those walls shake, this text is showing you what can happen, but not what must happen. You see, sometimes God doesn't literally shake the building. Sometimes he doesn't send us these huge signs in the sky. Sometimes it's a whisper to the, our heart. Look at how he came to Samuel. He came to Samuel at nearly three or four o'clock in the morning to wake him up and call him to himself. Look at Elijah. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the whisper. So this idea that I'm not moving until God moves, he already has through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It says they were filled with the spirit, the daily emptying and surrendering of the self to the spirit as he enables us to look, live, and love like Jesus. Listen to this quote by the reformer, Martin Luther. He says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And John Wesley, several years later, in souls filled with love, the desire to please God is a continual prayer. Again, more recently, A.W. Tozier, writing roughly 60 or so years ago, our perception of God, our perception of God is evident by the way we pray. See, the result of their prayer was the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He was making them look, live, and love like Jesus. And that's what he does for us. He makes us look like Jesus. In Acts chapter three, when, the, when they were in court, the people looked at them and said they could tell they had been with Jesus. They could tell they had been with Jesus. Can people tell that we have been with Jesus? And they love like Jesus. This text tells us the power and the presence of the spirit is faithful and it is persuasive. Notice it fulfilled what they had prayed for because it was in line with God's will. It says they went forth and proclaimed the word of God with boldness. Notice boldness. Boldness is not arrogance. It is not aggression. Boldness is faithfulness to God and his word, peacefully, persuasively. And the biggest part of the Christian persuasion is love. Don't confuse boldness with arrogance and aggression as we proclaim the gospel. So the spirit is persuasive. Is he persuading your heart towards anything this morning? See how the church responds to the current, current cultural moment is by prayer. Spirit led prayer leading to spirit filled living. How do we respond as individuals to our individual context? Spirit-filled prayer leading to spirit-filled living. Whatever's going on in your life right now, God is sovereign. He is good. And he wants to begin to reshape your heart. 
to live and look and love like Jesus does. You see, this comes back to Jesus. This should always come back to Jesus because what Jesus did on the cross makes communion with God possible. We live in a culture that, is, that has more religions than any other time in history. People are craving to commune with the divine, but the true God is found only through Jesus Christ, only. And Jesus made that communion with God possible by taking our place upon that cross. And the spirit of God is moving in this place, persuading some of us to come to salvation, to come to know him, to begin this conversation, this lifelong communion with God. And if that's you and the spirit is persuading your heart, he's not going to coerce you. See, he is positively persuasive. Our culture is completely coercive. Just look at advertising. If you don't dress, look, act, think this way, then you're nobody. But Jesus is persuading us peacefully, patiently. Do you sense him stirring in your heart this morning? Do you sense the spirit persuading your heart? If that's you and you say, look, I don't know if I've ever had a genuine relationship with Jesus. Maybe you grew up in church in the South, but you realize I don't have this type of relationship with God. Or maybe you've been here and, you, and you were, you're in here looking to, do, to commune with a God and you found out that it is Jesus Christ who is calling you. If you feel the spirit persuading your heart, would you just raise your hand so that we can celebrate with you this morning? Lift it high so we can see it and celebrate. Amen, amen. Amen, is there anybody else? We're gonna celebrate with you. We wanna pray with you. We wanna welcome you into the body of Christ. And what that means for the rest of us is that the spirit is continually persuading us, shaping our hearts. You see, as a moment ago, culture is coercing us. I have this vision of the culture around us being a blacksmith with a hammer, beating its object into submission. But with the Holy Spirit, he's more like a potter, patiently and persuasively shaping us to become like Jesus. And that, and that is filtered and fueled by a biblical vision of prayer and the framework of prayer that we see in this text. So this morning for the remainder of the time, and even after, if we need, I'm gonna, the, the altar right here is open. If you need prayer for anything, please come. Please come and get prayer. And as these people are praying and as Ryan is playing, if you're not gonna come get prayer, please be dismissed quietly but I'm gonna pray, you can come. There'll be leaders up here ready to pray for you, wanting to pray for you. And then we can be dismissed, let's pray. Father, you are so holy, you are so perfect. We thank you that in your presence, we find out who you are. We thank you that through prayer, you form us and shape us by the power of your spirit. But we thank you for salvation. We thank you that you are, that you are working in this place. We thank you for the baptisms we saw this morning. Lord, we confess to you our need for you every single day. Lord, we are hopeful for those who don't know you. Lord, that that you will use us, move us, shake us. Lord, to be agents of redemption, renewal in this world that you've called us. Father, we pray that we're able to find you regardless of situation. We know we will. And we're thankful for your love and we're thankful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name.